and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of Witts University in Johannesburg, South Africa. Very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Uh, today, we're going to talk about a pair of articles that uh, ran in the Christian Science Monitor. And for those of you not familiar with the Christian Science Monitor, uh, no, it's not a Christian publication. It may be, it's uh, but at the say, it's a really legitimate news organization, and they do great international news coverage. And in a very unusual twist, they ran two China Africa stories, uh, seemingly in a week. Uh, and so today, we're going to kind of pick up on those two stories, actually two China-Africa stories in the same day. Uh, so that really caught our attention, and we wanted to kind of talk about some of the key themes that they put up. Uh, Kobus, story number one is uh, about uh, one African nation, Zambia, quote-unquote, pushing back on abusive foreign investors. And the second one is talking about the great China takeover of Africa is greatly exaggerated. So you can see why these two articles caught our attention today. So, Kobus, let's go right off the top, back to Zambia. Uh, the premise of the article, let me read the headline and then the subheadline. One African nation starts to, quote, push back on abusive foreign investors. Copper-rich Zambia is open for business, not exploitation. Uh, let me tell you why this pissed me off before uh, I get your opinion on it first. Uh, nowhere in the article does it say that the Zambians are actually pushing back. What the Zambians are doing is enforcing their own laws. And last I checked, when you enforce your own laws, whether you're in the United States, whether you're in Honduras, whether that is not pushing back, that's just enforcing the law. And somehow it seems like a total double standard that when Africans, particularly Zambians, do actually enforce law and, and, and really bring to all the reforms of civil society to bear, it's somehow considered unruly in some ways, pushing back. And, and I just I thought this was a weird message to put forward. What was your thought? Yeah, it seemed to me to to try and and create create a trend out of a few different events that, that, that didn't really have much to do with each other. You know, kind of they they mentioned the column coal mine again. Um, I mean, we've discussed the column coal mine for a lot. You know, a lot. Um, you know, it was a. A, a very dysfunctional coal mine um, with a lot of labor problems and some people died and um, violent kind of incidents run by Australian Chinese, uh, you know, kind of family, um, which was eventually closed down. And then also some Indian companies uh, which had, you know, kind of broke its labor agreements with the government and then ended up kind of losing some of its licenses. It seemed to try and make the point that the, the Zambian government is becoming more aggressive um, in withdrawing licenses from from companies that that kind of overstep either, either overstep their environmental labor boundaries or you know kind of break agreements that, that they had with the, with the Zambian government in terms of how many Zambians they're going to employ I wasn't really convinced that this is really happening you know across the board it seemed to be cherry picking a few events and then in trying to weave a, a narrative out of them and very important to mention that they that the article or the Zambians did not isolate the Chinese uh, they also talk about the fact that uh, India is another, uh, you know, um, another subject of their ire. But again, I think that what we're seeing is a more assertive government. 
Michael Sada has has never been one who can be simply boiled down into a single stereotype. Michael Sada, who's the president, was known as King Cobra. Uh, you know, made his career as the opposition leader in, uh, in in Zambia, and for a long time issued one lovely quote after another, which were some of the most creative quotes I would say that are out there. Uh, really, you know, attacking the Chinese for their policies in Zambia. When he became president a couple of years ago, uh, he really turned and modified his policies to have a much more nuanced approach to dealing with the Chinese. He really wants to solicit. Chinese investment in the iron ore sector. Zambia is, of course, the largest iron ore exporting country in Africa. Uh, But at the same time, he's gotten fed up with some of the behavior of private Chinese companies and increasingly even some public Chinese companies. But that, to me, doesn't necessarily mean a pushback. And I, I just... I don't understand why the Western media continues to denigrate African public policy in this way. And I think I just get very frustrated when I see it because I think this is the assertion of just normal civil society, normal political, uh, I guess the words that I'm looking for, just the assertion of the rule of law. And that's a good thing, I think. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, you know, kind of. I think. I think. But. But I think also the the article is approving. I think in in, in a lot of ways. I think it's. You know, kind of the. Obviously, the, the the context within the, the within which it's written um, is a kind of, <laughs> I think, to a certain extent, a real, you know, kind of problematic context where African nations tend to frequently not enforce their yeah, own laws. Yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, right. You know, kind of because because they don't have the enough personnel, or because there's corruption, or for a bunch of reasons. Um, you know, kind of. So I suppose, you know, kind of in that sense, it's this kind of exception that, or in their view, maybe the exception that proves the rule. It certainly is an exception that proves the rule, but at the same time, it may also reveal a lack of understanding of what's happening in Ethiopia, where the Ethiopian government has been very, very clear with the Chinese that they cannot open local businesses there. They've been very restrictive as the type of industries that they can enter. Uh, Ghana has been trying to improve its, you know, the, the kinds of businesses that it can have in the regulatory structure and environment, particularly around mining, as we've seen in the past year uh, there. So there are some examples elsewhere around the continent that doesn't really make necessarily Zambia to be the exception that proves the rule. Maybe there is a trend towards a more assertive government uh, view towards the Chinese. Yes, I, I think so. I think it's, it seems to be developing in that direction, you know. Kind of, but the thing with Africa is obviously is you know to a certain extent it, it develops in one direction, but then also in another direction at the same time. So, um, you know, kind of, I think there are moments. You know, we've seen research, for example, about the, the Democratic Republic of Congo, where licensing systems. It's also happened in Mozambique. You know, kind of where where, for example, forestry licensing systems have been really undercut. Um, you know, kind of by by individual corrupt kind of operators and to a, to a large extent there um, Chinese companies became the victim of the situation you know kind of because they actually frequently operated under the illusion that they have that their licenses are legit um, and then at some stage just some big crackdown and then they realized no it was actually these were fake licenses or there's a license not open you know kind of to them in the first place so and I mean that happened in Ghana at the same time you know kind of so I suppose the the, the situation is very complicated um, 
Um, and I, I tend to resist the idea that it's only these these cruel, you know, kind of overlord foreign companies kind of marching in and like stripping the stripping the environment. You know, kind of I think it frequently some so frequently it's happening with some form of local collusion. It's also important to put this in context as well. Uh, we mentioned this in in an earlier show about the Human Rights Watch report on uh, Chinese labor practices in Zambia, uh, which at the time when you and I discussed it, uh, we felt that it was very poorly researched. And then the academic community uh, in the in the Sino-African scholarship came out and also said that it was. And there's a lot of research out there that actually shows the Chinese to be no better or no worse, for that matter, than other foreign investors, and certainly even better than a lot of local companies. Again, I don't say this to defend the Chinese in any way. My point is to say that by singling them out uh, may not be productive the way that this article did. Nonetheless, it does reveal uh, an interesting trend that the that Zambians are, um, if not pushing back, asserting themselves. And ultimately, I think that's actually a very good Thing. Let's go on to the second article uh, from the Christian Science Monitor. This was, again, on the same day, and that's a rare thing in this world, uh, two China-Africa articles in the same publication on the same day. The Great China Takeover of Africa is greatly exaggerated. The subheadline: investors from South Africa to Brazil and from India to South Africa, oh, I'm sorry, investors from South Korea to Brazil and from India to South Africa are the new kids on the African block nor have old investors like the U.S., U.K., France, and Australia pulled out. Uh, Kobus, this was refreshing to see in part because it's one of the themes that you and I often bring up in our discussions, uh, both on the show and on Facebook, that when you look at the numbers, the Chinese oftentimes, or in most cases, are not even in the top five of foreign investors in Africa. They've had a huge surge over the past decade, but that's catching up to centuries of European investment on the continent and also competition from the Brazilians, from Russia, from Saudi Arabia, from all corners that are coming in. So that was kind of a refreshing headline to see. Yes. I, I, you know, I found it very interesting. Um, at the same time, you know, I, I keep wanting to see this data crunched in a, in a more kind of creative way. Um, so on the one hand, all of these people are rising. And, you know, kind of, and, and the, the investment of China needs to be seen in the context of, of increased investment from a bunch of other people. But at the same time, you know, in the first place, levels of Chinese investment are still quite high. Um, but in the second place... I would love to see this data actually rearranged to show who are the biggest players in various different sectors in Africa. Not necessarily geographic sectors like East Africa or West Africa, but in in telecoms, for example, in different kinds of mining, in different kinds of infrastructure. I'd love to see all, you know, kind of the the, it divided in in, in that way. And I mean, that that data, someone has probably already drawn up those charts. I just don't know about them. Um, But, you know, kind of, I, I would love to see in which, you know, kind of whether China is particularly strong in particular sectors, which, you know, kind of I think in, in infrastructure, for example, I would guess China would be the strongest, um, or infrastructure construction anyway. Um, you know, and uh, the like telecom provision probably as well. Um, but yeah, you know, kind of so, so it'll be very interesting to see how they compare to, you know, Turkey, for example, or South Korea in, in, in a bunch of different sectors. Yeah, and this is where I ran into problems with the article. After a very promising headline, the, the support of the thesis became a little bit tenuous in my view. So let me read you a quote. African trade with South Korea and Brazil has moved from single-digit billions in 2000 to more than $25 billion each in 2011. 
And again, that doesn't necessarily support the thesis of the of the headline, in part because if you look at the figures for trading between China and Africa in 2011, uh, they were in the hundreds of billions. Today, uh, the headlines coming out are that China-Africa trade is going to cross 200 billion. So that's almost 10 times what they're doing with South Africa and Brazil. So it may not be a Chinese takeover, but certainly the scale of Chinese investment uh, is significantly larger than any of the other emerging powers uh, really, probably only second to you know some of the established colonial powers who have legacy investments there. Uh, but I, I was a little bit disappointed in, the, in that they presented it that way. They also go on to talk about India's footprint being small but growing 400% a year. And we've talked about India quite a bit in the fact that they're not being able to muster up the, the levels of investment that the Chinese are. So I guess maybe what we can look at, Cobus, is, is cumulatively all these actors together may rival China. China's investment, but individually, it doesn't seem like they they compare. Yes, um, but again, you know, kind of like, like we've we've you know, kind of one of that's one of our refrains is that you know, kind of what does China quote unquote actually mean? You know, I mean, obviously, China's is made up of you know, there's this national origin, but people, there's a bunch of different people coming from the same one country called China. Um, you know, and and I'd love to again see a breakdown not only of you know Chinese state-owned enterprises versus Chinese large you know, private corporations versus small Chinese companies. But I'd, I'd also love to see that, you know, done for all of these other emerging groups. Like to which extent, you know, kind of is uh, is Indian investment driven by, by mega corporations versus small, small uh, one family operators and, and, you know, kind of similar in the case of Brazil. So um, it, it seems to me that, you know, kind of this, this kind of data is frequently raised and these numbers are, are raised, but then they are frustratingly kind of not explained enough or not broken down enough or not kind of complicated enough in a way, you know, kind of, but of course this is like several PhD dissertations to really get to the bottom of this. So, you know, kind of, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a limit to, to what this Christian science monitor can actually explain in one article. No, there absolutely is. But even with the best PhD minds at work on this, I'm skeptical that people could actually find out uh, the true number, in part because of the opacity of the Chinese government in releasing their investment numbers. Uh, Deborah Braudigam and a number other, uh, of other scholars have been trying to get to the bottom of their aid numbers, their investment numbers, and it's, it's very difficult. And then so much of the private sector investment coming out of China is done informally. So there is no way to track what's happening in Rwanda in the DRC because it's being done through a gray market. The financing is done off, you know, offshore. Uh, we've known that there's a lot of illicit financing that's going on uh, of Chinese investments. So it would be really hard to really get an accurate number. And I imagine the same is probably true with the Russians and, the, and even to some extent the Brazilians and Turks, uh, where a lot of this money is coming through multiple channels, making it very, very difficult for scholars to track and to figure out. So I, I'm skeptical of any of these numbers as a whole. One thing I was really grateful for in this, in this article was the, um, you know, mentioning that South Africa is such an aggressive and, and growing investor in, in other African markets. Um, because I think frequently South Africa is such an interesting case, um, you know, in the sense that there are, you know, this BRICS alliance with China. There are, to a large extent, these kind of economic you know, kind of joined at the hip tw twins um, in the sense that when the Chinese, you know, kind of rates go down, South Africa's economy goes down with it. Um, but then at the same time, they also 
competitors, you know, in 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 all of these African markets. And the the article was quite interesting in terms of making the point that while China has these massive investments um, and frequently very eye catching ones, like for example, you know, kind of building. I don't know that that that's necessarily investment, but I mean it's eye catching building the the AU headquarters. Um, but then you know, South Africa is actually a very canny investor in Africa and tends to play African markets very effectively. Um, and it's it also South Africa, interestingly, kind of invests in a lot of, uh, you know, emerging middle class consumption markets. So, for example, South Africa, there's this, the supermarket in South Africa called Woolworths, which is not related, as far as I understand, is not related to the, the British chain Woolworths or the Woolworths company slash family in the US. But it's this kind of upper, like middle class-ish Marks and Spencer kind of a little whole, food, whole foodsy a little bit kind of, uh, you know, kind of middle class supermarket and they are opening everywhere in africa they're opening over you know in all of these kind of big african centers so it's interesting south africa seems to be pushing very, very it seems to be very canny and in cornering these these corners of emerging african consumption um while you know kind of other other of these is big um company big countries seem to not seem to be missing that kind of opportunity and of course let's not forget mtm mtn which is the one of the the largest mobile uh, and data networks uh, and mobile operators in, on the continent, and they've been very aggressive out of South Africa to expand their footprint uh, across the continent. Also, South African FMCG, fast-moving consumer goods, have also been very effective. So you're, you're absolutely right that South Africa is a formidable competitor. But I guess, you know, stepping back from all of this, the Chinese have, uh, you know, are just skyrocketing, $200 billion in bilateral trade, but still, it's not necessarily the takeover. So I absolutely agree with this article. It's not even registering in the top five, top 10 in many countries. It's distorted in many respects by the reliance on natural resources and extractive industries, particularly oil. So it's not very diverse, uh, even though that diversification is is changing. I read a report the other day, Cobus, that China is uh, is now, you know, the two-way trade is becoming increasingly less dependent on natural resources and much more on machinery, equipment. So the trade is diversifying, and that's something that's not happening for the United States and Canada, which is still largely uh, extractive. So in some ways, the the balance of trade between China and Africa is actually going in the right direction uh, because there is an emerging balance and and less dependence on natural resources, which is ultimately healthy. So um, those are the two articles that we recommend. We've posted both on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash China Africa Project. Once again, go to the Christian Science Monitor, look up these two articles, both published on March 2nd, 2014. Uh, the Christian Science Monitor website is csmonitor.com. It's an excellent news resource if you're not familiar with it. Uh, it, is, uh, it is not religious, so I, I do uh, in, invite you to check that out just in the event that you're unfamiliar with them. So, Cobus, that'll do it for this edition of the show. If people want to stay on top of what you're reading and all the interesting articles that you come across, what's the best way for them to stay in touch with you? Um, I'm on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash China Africa Project. Um, and you'll see my name there when I comment. And I'm also on Twitter at Sadnesque. That's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. 
Kobus and I are updating that Facebook page, believe it or not, uh, almost 18 hours a day. We only take a few hours off for sleep, but Kobus being in Africa, I'm over here in Asia. Uh, so the time zones really work. So if you're no matter where you are in the world, uh, you're going to, for the most part, be getting updates on, on, on the latest headlines. Uh, if that doesn't work, you can check me out over on Twitter at EOLander, uh, E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. And I'm tweeting the top China Africa headlines almost every day. And finally, if you want to subscribe to this podcast, we invite you to check it us check us out over on iTunes. We would love it. Be so grateful. Please, we're begging you to leave a comment for us. We love to get the feedback. It also helps us with uh, iTunes. Our dream is to become on the homepage of, uh, of, of the U.S. and maybe even the Chinese uh, iTunes page one of the days. That, that would be a real dream come true. So uh, your comments will help us achieve that goal. So we'd appreciate it very much. Uh, listen, until next time, we'll be back with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Thank you so much for listening.